Welcome everyone to the DC Beer Show. I am Jake and we are at DC Beer across social media. Mike Stein, what are you drinking? Hey Jake, I am drinking a corn crib farmhouse lager from Wheatland Spring Farm and Brewery. I had a friend who is a Virginia brewer tell me recently, I am tired of all these Virginia breweries, DC Maryland breweries, saying that they're local beer, when in fact, they are local breweries making beer. Well, credit where it's due. Um, I wanted to shout out Wheatland Springs for on their corn crib farmhouse lager. They put the grain bill, the barley, right on there. 52% Virginia grain, 48% North Carolina grain. Shout out to those using local supply chain. Um, the news of the world is so harried and troubling these days. It's nice to see a local beer with local products. Brandy. Our beloved, intrepid Brandy, what are you sipping on hey Mike this evening? And Jake. Uh, I saw Jake a lot this weekend, this past weekend. Um, actively, I'm drinking nothing. Not, well, because after eating a mini bag of Funyuns, all I wanted was a dirty martini, gin, so don't even come at me about vodka, y'all. Don't even slide into my DMs about vodka. <laughs> and I had no dry vermouth. I don't know how, probably because I haven't made myself a martini in 8,000 years. So despite having an insane amount of beer in my fridge, none of it would have tasted like a dirty martini. So I chose to eat a large slice of Syrah aged cheese from Trader Joe's. I uh, poured myself a mini glass of wine, but I had one of it and said, no, thank you, because I just can't do wine. So I'll probably just get into the Griot's pickles after this. So that's my life. <laughs> uh, respect, yeah. respect. I, that, I was just... Yeah, I wish oh, those are my favorite pickles, but um, the DC Pit Beer Pickle Show. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I, I, we. I was just telling the guys right before we started recording that we need to, we need these. I need these little mini, mini cans of beer because I don't have beer shitty enough in the refrigerator for me to open a beer and then me not want more than three sips of it just because I don't want a large amount of alcohol right now. So. That's not a thing, though, unfortunately. So anyway, um, Jake and Mike and beer fam, I have to tell y'all, I want all of my beer friends to get excited. I have so much to tell you. I'm so jazzed. First of all, I better see all y'all at Silver Branch and Red Bear this weekend for their anniversaries. Both of our beloved breweries are turning a three this weekend. Um, so make sure you go enjoy the fun events that they both have planned and the special beer releases that are coming out this weekend. Uh, both breweries are releasing an IPA, actually, for their anniversary this weekend. So definitely go check that out. Um, so uh, we, I already had the newest beer released from Silver Branch. We had Dr. Juicy this past weekend and the Lawn Beer. And we talk about that later. Um, but we had a blast at the Silver Branch Dr. Juicy pre-release party. But then again, we always seem to have fun. Speaking of fun, you should hold on to your britches or your beer. For me, my britches, I suppose. Um, but Beer Share is back, baby. It's back. The DC. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> bow, 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 bow. The DC Beer Shares are invite only. But it's not too hard to get into the invite list. Just slide into our DMs like all those creepy F boys that try to slide into yours. I know I've been there. Um, and hopefully you'll get to join our March beer share. Um, so it's going to be, hopefully the weather will hold out. But I'm I'm so excited. We've been getting a lot of 
questions about, hey, when's the beer share coming back? So now, now's the time. March, March is the time, man. March Madness. We now take you to Brandy, live on the scene. And by live, I mean last Saturday at Silver Branch for the release of their new flagship hazy, Dr. Juicy. Brandy here with Brett Robison at Silver Branch, which is one of all of our favorite breweries, um, located in Silver Spring, Maryland. I'm here at the Dr. Juicy release party. It's really cool. All the beer fam is here, and it's just a great event. So, hi, Brett. Welcome back on the show. You've been on here so many times, I feel like, but we love you. Um, Talk about this Dr. Juicy that we're drinking. Yeah, so Dr. Juicy is uh, our newest flagship IPA. It is uh, replacing um, Quantum Shift, which... uh, had a good ride for us as a company, and we were really proud of that beer. But uh, we kind of realized that it was time to embrace a IPA flavor profile that was like more in alignment with kind of modern uh, IPA drinkers. And we put like an absolutely epic amount of like time and energy and effort and research into putting forth what we think is going to be a really awesome IPA. Um, Ironically, at least some of the things that make for really good Pilsner, which I think is what we're really no- well known for, like including super soft water, is actually really helpful for making a super kick-ass, uh, juicy IPA as well. So yeah, we're we're really uh, we're really excited for this. We think this has been a lot of work getting to this point, but we're so happy to share this with everybody. We uh, we elected not to make Sisyphus this year because we wanted, we did not want to take the attention away from Dr. Juicy. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you keep your eyes and ears peeled, there will be uh, more Sisyphus in the future. But um, we really just wanted to put a lot of energy into this and uh, and sort of just put something together that we think would uh, appeal to uh, a lot of IPA drinkers. Why did you decide to have the community, your fans, your beloved fans, vote between Dr. Juicy A and Dr. Juicy Z? So when uh, Christian and I started this business, we had a very clear vision of what uh, we wanted Silver Branch to be. But part of that vision included this idea that Silver Branch would ultimately become a byproduct of where it is who works here, who drinks here. So Dr. Juicy is sort of the outflowing of a clear understanding of responding to what people want from us. And although we have our own ideas, I think we're both really receptive, and not just us as individuals, but Silver Ranch as a company. We are a place where everybody's welcome and everybody's input is welcome. And so... Rather than um, try to do this behind closed doors, we just figured the best way to solicit the most meaningful information was to do a uh, giant public experiment. And um, we were happy to see that we received uh, a couple emails, text messages, and phone calls literally every single day uh, leading up to this. We had people that were very adamantly in favor of the trial A or in favor of trial Z. There was a lot of um, anticipation leading up to this beer. So there was a lot of uh, 
beer people are like sports fans and that they're very opinionated and uh yes <laughs> we uh we welcomed in as many opinions as we could that's so awesome. uh that was really fun and, and kind of kind of fun for you know not just the brewing team but also like the sales and marketing teams here uh to kind of see that feedback and get a sense of what people were thinking so the beer that i drank just well actively drinking i'm almost done with it sad rip beer um what version of that is it is is it a combination of a and z or um is it more a or more z because us at dc beer we had we had our preferred one, but we liked both of them for different reasons. And then when is this beer available to the public? So the uh, official launch of this beer happens March 1st. And then uh, our anniversary party is on March 3rd. That's our official anniversary. But the final product is actually technically it's neither A nor Z. It's a... Uh, it's borrowing a lot of the <laughs> knowledge and insight from both. So I would say, I would describe it as the hop character is most closely aligned with Z with a very slight modification, especially in the dry hop. Um, and then the malt profile would probably more closely align with A. But uh, in truth, we sort of took the feedback and we produced what we thought was going to be just the best beer overall. And um, so you can think of it as an amalgamation of the two. Uh, but really what I would say is it's actually an amalgamation of an intense amount of like learning and research that we've done over the last year to year and a half, specifically in the hazy IPA category. It's freaking awesome. And compared to A and Z, in my personal opinion, this tastes incredible. Brett, thank you so much for, again, talking about your delicious beer. If you haven't been to Silver Branch, I don't know what's wrong with you. Um, I'm happy to come physically pick you up and drive you, bring you to Silver Branch to have this beer. It's so good. It's incredible. Cheers. And now back to the episode. Mike, what other amazingly fun things do we have to announce? Maybe something to do with the Maryland Beer Festival? Tell the, tell oh, the folks. Yeah. <laughs> Beer shares back, we're back. It's March. It's not maybe. It is definitely happening. If you are interested in hanging with DC Beer, our beloved crew, check out the Maryland Craft Beer Festival. You can go to DC Beer forward slash road trip. So punch into your browser, your search engine, your Google, your Chrome, your Firefox, your AOL Live. Uh, <laughs> DC period beer forward slash road trip. And you'll get all the details about our Maryland Craft Beer Festival trip. We have some big things planned. We're super excited. So check it out. We can't wait to share some experiences with you. Um, and we're super pumped for the Maryland Craft Beer Festival. Jake, we've got a beer share. We've got anniversaries. We've got the Maryland Craft Beer Festival. What else do we have coming up? What are you drinking? What's getting you jazzed? I've got beer made by a Maryland man, Ben Little. In Pennsylvania, which is kind of weird. But hey, cross state lines, make some beer, come back. Um, X Flying Dog, X Manor Hill, X Victoria Gastropub, Ben Little's Head Brewer up at Fourscore in Gettysburg. And I am drinking his Rhapsody Svetli, um, a lovely Czech-style premium pale lager. Um, I'd say it's a, it's a really nice drinking Czech 12 
four score, uh, perhaps better known for um, their Jamba Juice fruity smoothie type things that I think the three of us aren't super into, but they seem to sell well. But every Sunday in Gettysburg at four score, it's side pour. Sundays, a 12, a 10, a dark lager, perhaps a Bolto Tamave, like a nice amber color one. $3 side pours, one of those Luker taps. You can tell them extra foamy if you wanted Luko or what have you. Uh, you can go half and half. Anyway, good people, good beer. And hey, speaking of Ben Little, he and Fourscore just collapsed with not one, but two IPAs with Astrolab. Maybe you'll see Astrolab at the Maryland Craft Brewers Festival. And anyway, those, at least one of those IPAs should still be available up in Silver Spring. But yeah, cool stuff. Nice. Who, who do we have on the show coming up here to wow on Dazzle, Razzle Dazzle, our audience? Who are you talking with, Jake? I am talking with um, Good Beer Hunting's Brian Roth. He also is the director of the North American Guild of Beer Writers. And his claim to fame is that he once hung out with me in the uh, vacant parking lot um, outside Brooklyn Pint, where we had a beer. Now that's the Everton, D.C., now renting. Go for it, Bizzuto. <laughs> Greetings, I'm here with Brian Roth. He's a writer living in Durham, North Carolina. He's covered the beer industry as a blogger and reporter since 2011. You might know him best um, through his work with uh, Good Beer Hunting. He's also the director for the North American Guild of Beer Writers. Brian, thank you for joining us. Welcome to the show. Hey, so appreciate the invite to be here. Thanks for having me. So I guess we'll start with the question that we always ask each other, and that's, what are you drinking? Uh, right now, as we are talking, I am drinking a 12-ounce can of Sierra Nevada's Wild Little Thing. Um, I am actually happen to be doing some reporting around Sierra Nevada and their Little Things family uh, for Good Beer Hunting right now. So I've kind of been working my way through some of the, the individual beers that are a part of that to familiarize or re-familiarize myself. So this one's their sour uh, version amongst the bunch. Uh, which is like a, a nice crowd pleaser, I, th I would say. A good one for spring and changing weather coming up. I've got, and so they'll hear this again, um, this is Four Scores Rhapsody um, Svetli. It's a, um, like, like a, like a 12 Play-Doh Czech style um, pills from Four Score in Gettysburg, um, whose motto is a, the Abe Lincoln hat um, with uh, atop a hop cone, which is lovely. Good quality beer. But I figured that before we really started talking about spring stuff, we should discuss St. Patrick's Day and the business of beer. Are there any domestic challengers to Guinness? Like, I, like we see like the stouts and we see the Irish reds and that seems to be very much um, a, a, a Diageo uh, adventure. Yeah, it was probably three or four years ago uh, when I wrote a two-part piece for Good Beer Hunting for the sightline section of the website, which is the, the news focus portion, about a claim that Left Hand made about being uh, America's stout. Because it, it was basically, it was coming up on St. Patrick's Day. We all know Guinness rules supreme. Uh, that is their holiday. 
Um, but it was at least interesting to try to explore uh, Left Hand, so their, their Nitro series, perhaps best known for their Nitro stout, as uh, trying to at least take some of the shine away from Guinness. Um, the, the Too Long Don't Read version is it does not. Uh, but that is the the flagship and cornerstone for that Colorado brewery. Uh, and so if I were to point to anything that could steal some amount of enthusiasm for stout during St. Patrick's Day, uh, that's going to be the one. But otherwise, good luck trying to, to steal some share of mind from Guinness on that day. I have noted uh, the, the left-hand nitro stout expansion as it has sort of morphed into these uh, different variants. Uh, I think I've, I've seen a raspberry one. I think I've seen a more desserty one. Um, but I also haven't seen in like an Irish style one, you know, where, you know, it kicks in under 5% and has a bunch of East Kent Goldings in it, for example. Under 5% in this economy, not likely. I do think like they're, they're leaning into those flavored versions, uh, is both it's, it's unique and necessary. If you look at things that are happening in the greater beer space, what is working right now for beer at large is um, often the way I describe it as simplicity of flavor expectation. Um, customers, I mean, you can look at this and you can tease it out from niche audiences who are looking for, you know, the one-off release pastry stouts or someone who's looking for a strawberry nitro stout they can buy at uh, King Supers in Colorado. Um, I think playing in that space is really smart. It does take you away, obviously, from kind of uh, like the traditional takes of what that stout might be, um, but it does offer a lot more to consumers in the way that I think they are exploring or experimenting uh, with the flavors that they look from beer these days. Yes, I had noted um, a brewery local to us, um, Three Stars, um, has a beer, um, Zombie Date Night, um, that they release around Valentine's Day, Imperial Stout with Raspberries, um, to which there is now a creme brulee variant, um, as as well as a peanut butter one, and so you could maybe mix them if so, you know, do a bit like a PB and J sort of a thing going on. But you know, those are also sixteen ounce cans that are about ten percent, and so playing perhaps in a different market than uh, the Guinnesses and even the left hand uh, with the night with nitro milk stout. Only for the ambitious and brave. Uh, those those sixteen ounce cans. <laughs> yes, um, yeah. If you if you crack that on a on a Wednesday, uh, I I salute you and you know back on Dios. <laughs> so the business of beer right now, uh, a lot of the discourse seems focused on seltzer, and DC is no stranger to that. The full transparency line from DC Brow is something like thirty to 40 percent of their sales, their production. We just talked with um, Denizen's director of brewing operations, Jeff Ramirez, a couple of weeks ago. Um, Den's, their hard seltzer um, made in Riverdale Park, just outside of D.C., is headed to D.C. Unbeknownst to, I think, everybody, Aslan is now the third largest brewery in the state of Virginia. And um, they've got a seltzer vibes, V-I-B-E-Z, uh, because why wouldn't you? And it's all over like our local Trader Joe's and such. And it's just... Is this still like where we're headed? Uh, yes. The short answer is yes. Uh, and just to put some 2021 context to look at what happened last year to carry over into this year. So listeners may have seen or heard stories a couple times last year about the the uh, the 
fizzing out the death of hard seltzer. Every time those stories came out, it was almost exclusively because a Wall Street reporter uh, tuned in to the earnings report from Boston Beer, who, while setting a record for hard seltzer sales for their Truly line of seltzers, and also well outpacing the entire category, kind of messed up some projections, uh, and that kind of threw everybody for a loop. Uh, last year, as a as a category, hard seltzer made five point one billion dollars. Um, if you put that up against other beer categories, it's the fourth largest category in the country in chain retail sales. It's uh, premium lights, which is, this is by dollars, premium lights, which is like, you know, Bud Light, Miller Light, um, imports, uh, which usually come with a higher price tag, uh, craft beer, uh, ditto, and then hard seltzer. Uh, and so, you know, last year, even amongst those factually incorrect stories, I should say, um, hard seltzer set a record in dollar sales. Uh, right now, as we're talking beginning of March, uh, it is on pace to to match the start of last year as well. Um, it'll earn a little over $600 million uh, before the end of the second month of 2022. Uh, I could go on. Um, there are excuses and examples ad nauseum to show that hard seltzer, it's not only, it's like at this point, it's not a uh, issue of saying it's here to stay. Uh, the most interesting thing is just the way that the category is evolving to fit within, you know, both attracting new customers, keeping old ones, and showing that it's more than just, you know, clear, fizzy water with 5% alcohol flavored like mango or black cherry. And so one of the interesting things that I've noticed is, and this is going to be both a question and a comment as the way people um, pontificate. Um, during the Q&A of academic conferences, how much is seltzer taking from beer? And how much of this is, by the way, what happened to Angry Orchard? And what happened to cider? <laughs> like, where, well, where, where did cider go in all of this? Because it seems like it, it's become much more niche than it once was. Yeah, so with cider, it's interesting because... I talked with Michelle McGrath, who's the um, director of the American Cider Association, a while back. This is maybe about six or seven months ago. And it's really interesting because the, the if you look at it as a share percentage of the beer category, uh, which includes what would be traditional beer that we know at core beer, uh, it, if in some instances, and I break this out when I talk about things, uh, it could include flavored malt beverages, which is hard seltzer, also includes cider. Cider has been consistent for years in terms of it's about like 1% of the beer market, which doesn't sound great if you're thinking about it from large scale growth. But, you know, the one part of that is the number of dollars increases. So while that percentage of share remains roughly the same, it continues to add more dollars along the way. So that's at least good. The biggest change for cider is something that, you know, we were talking about craft beer going back, you know, 10 years ago, as it was shifting from, you know, large national or regional brands to more small nano or local breweries, the same could be said for, for cider too. You know, there are a lot of very niche, like local focused cideries, but even regional ones, those are the ones that are driving growth right now. Um, Seattle Cider, uh, which is out in Seattle, has been kind of the poster child for growth in that category. 
Uh, Bold Rock, uh, which is in Virginia and North Carolina, has done really well, especially since uh, it was brought on board from Artisan Brewing Ventures as that kind of that section of this collection of, of breweries, which includes Southern Tier, Victory, and um, Six Point. But yeah, so cider cider's doing fine. There's nothing to get, I, I think, to point at and get super excited, aside from the fact that I think it is exciting that it continues to chug along and not lose. Um, now, the same can't necessarily be said when it comes to beer. Um, if you look at the next five years, uh, no matter how you want to break out the numbers, whether it is sales and chain retail, uh, it is revenue across uh, both bars and uh, grocery convenience stores, or most importantly, the way I often look at it is a share of servings, uh, which is kind of equalizing across types of alcohol because they carry different APVs. There's no way beer does not lose. Full stop, period. Beer has consistently lost share of servings with Americans um, for the last decade, uh, and that's primarily from spirits. Um, but seltzer has played a key role in that, not taking away from some of the the more um, uh, like beloved groups, like imports and craft holds pretty steady. But more often than not, when you hear about an analysis of seltzer stealing from beer, that's going to be from you know uh, um, light American lagers, Bud Light, which been, has been shedding you know dollar sales for years, um, Miller Light a little bit, but that's been holding steady. Coors, Coors Light for sure. So that's where those seltzer drinkers, at least the way that it's seen, are pulling a, pulling money and customers away from beer. It's filling in that space that people used to turn to a 5% American light lager. Now it's a 5% seltzer of flavor of your choice. So in a way, it is less competing with craft, which I think up until really the last couple of years has shunned that 5% American lager, like that, that category, and more aimed at the, the Bud Miller cores of the world. Would that be an accurate reading? Yeah, and that's that's not to say that um, craft beer drinkers don't also consume hard seltzer with regularity. Um, one of the the findings from the Brewers Association trade organization that represents small and independent brewers in America, they partner with uh, Nielsen every year for an annual survey called the Mind of the Craft Beer Drinker. And in recent years, one of the categories that's gained the most when they ask a question of what else do you drink aside from craft beer, it's seltzer. Uh, and so the, um, promiscuous drinking behavior of the American public, uh, going across both traditional categories of beer, wine, spirits, and then also kind of these contemporary breakouts, which includes, you know, seltzer or CBD or THC beverages, um, RTD canned cocktails, like all of these things are pulling, um, away from other categories. And when you look at the numbers, Whatever those numbers may be, uh, that's pretty much always always beer. But craft continues to hold strong. Part of that is because of the premium price that it carries, so that benefits. And it's also a case where you know you and I, we we love beer, and it's hard to not feel a connection to that beer if it's something that's not from you know our local or regional craft brewer, where it's a style or a flavor that we can really connect to. So I'm less worried about craft losing share to seltzer so much as other areas of beer. That's good. I feel like in the last 
two answers or so, I went from being vaguely depressed um, to a little bit more heartened. Um, you and I both know that you know not only is the American beer drinker promiscuous, but uh, the 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 waters, the swing pool that we tread in, um, the like that hardcore niche of craft beer drinkers are probably the most promiscuous of the promiscuous. And so I, re- I recall going into Erewhon in Arlington, and I saw people queued up. This was probably 2015 or so, 2016, for not your father's hard root beer. Like, you know, <laughs> sort of like the, they, the, the seltzer of its day, um, no one is queuing up for Truly, I don't think, although every so often um, someone will tell me that Truly Mango is the best one. And if I've seen Mango, um, can I please let them know where, you know, that one is? The sales would bear that out as well of mango. Very, very popular. It was, it's really fun. I mean, that's the thing is I think when you consider what craft beer is, I think there is a little bit of nostalgia and assumption from that nostalgia that it still is kind of this upstart thing, or at least because there are so many new entrants all the time, we're past 9,000 breweries in the country, that it still kind of fits this niche segment. But like craft beer is pop culture right now. You know, my 70-year-old next-door neighbor drinks craft beer with me. You know, my parents, who are in their 60s, drink craft beer. Uh, I have friends of all ages up and down. Uh, you know, people recognize it. So it when you think about what craft beer is and the way that it fits into people's lives now, it is far more common to have someone bring, you know, a six pack of the local brewery or, you know, if we're so lucky, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale to a party and like nobody thinks twice about it. Like that's just something people do, which I think is meaningful. No, I, I agree with that. And then like from a business standpoint and as someone who, you know, perhaps regrettably um, can be partisan about their capitalist inclinations, doesn't this feel like a win? Like craft beer has already won. Like craft beer is the end cap at the grocery stores where I shop. You can walk into 7-Elevens in Northern Virginia and buy craft beer. Um, I was stopped at a gas station off of I-68 in far western Maryland in Garrett County. They had three-week-old fresh New Belgium Ranger. Like that's tremendous. That's all I ever wanted from getting into this was like, oh, cool. Now there's good beer everywhere. And yet it seems like we're all a little bit, we have our discontents. Yeah, well, as we are human after all, and that's probably, uh, we're prone to such things. But I think you're right. I mean, when I say something like craft beer's pop culture, I mean, if you walk into whatever grocery store you go to, uh, for me, that's, that's Wegmans. The fact that they devote more real estate to craft beer now than they did five years ago matters because the people who are shopping in these grocery stores, whether it's a Walmart, uh, which is just now finishing up uh, a few months of selling Black is Beautiful, the uh, the Imperial Stout that um, Weathered Souls in, in San Antonio started as the collaboration beer. You, know, you found that in Walmart. And in any grocery store like Wegmans, you'll find a commitment to local brands because the average consumer recognizes that as part of the the beer lexicon these days. So, you know, to to tie this back to the seltzer thing, too, I mean, this does not take away from the fact that these companies rely on non 
beer products more than they have before. This is not, you know, a sweeping statement for every brewery, but, you know, if you walk into a tap room, a lot of places have seltzers uh, where they can uh, legally, uh, they are exploring other areas of beverage alcohol, whether that, that might be in states with uh, recreational cannabis, it could be THC beverages, um, it could be canned cocktails too. So, you know, the, the future is two things. It is uh, more specific kinds of drinking. The premiumization, that's a word that a lot of people in the industry throw around, which is true. It basically means that people are drinking a little bit less on a percentage growth scale, but they're spending their money on more expensive things. And one way to, to paint this picture is that if you look over the last 20 years, the share of servings of alcohol consumed in the country, that's the, like the raw... I'm sorry, it has grown about um, 30%. But the volume, the total volume of alcohol consumed has only grown about 10%. So what that means is that people are consuming higher ABV products, most notably spirits. um, And they're also spending their money on more expensive things. Um, So while, you know, the Natty Light is always going to have a place, Bud Light will always have a place. But more and more, when you look at the schism of the beverage alcohol industry, the storylines that are dominating right now and I think are very important for the future are the idea of premiumization, both in the fact that people are buying more expensive things, but also buying with more intent, with how they want to spend their money, uh, with what they want a product to provide them in terms of whether it's a, a wellness proposition, better than the for you proposition, or just a good feeling. Uh, I think all these things really matter. Thanks, Brian. Again, most of his stuff is over at Good Beer Hunting. You can also follow him at over at Brian D. Roth on Twitter, talking about the business of beer, um, always illuminating, um, mostly not depressing, which is always a pleasant surprise. We are the DC Beer Show, dcbeer.com, at dcbeer on the socials, and breweries. Should you have new releases for us, please let us know, dc.beer slash releases. All right, until next time, folks, be well, be safe. Bye.